Father, we begin this morning by acknowledging that we are not king, you are. So we ask that you would be king of our hearts and of our lives and over our finances. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're in week two of a series of messages that we're calling self-management. And last week we talked about time management. And this morning we're talking about financial management managing our finances and turning that over, that management over fully to God, taking control of our finances, managing what we make, managing our resources. A great resource for this is uh, Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey has written extensively on money management. Ramsey says this, winning at money is 80% behavior and 20% head knowledge. What to do isn't the problem. Doing it is. Most of us know what to do, we just don't do it. If I can control the guy in the mirror, I can be skinny and rich. In fact, whenever you get frustrated having to manage some bozo at work, let's today consider that we're going to remind ourselves that the uncooperative bozo that takes the overwhelming majority of our management time is the person that stares back at us in the mirror. Self-management is the toughest job. And that's what we're talking about to start the year off this year. So let me build a dependency list for us that will help us remind us of this task, the importance of it, and also how we get to it. First floor, ground level, level number one. We will not become the people we were designed to be unless we build balanced spiritual lives. It's not just about taking care of our career. It's not even just about taking care of our family. We will not become the people that we were designed to be if we do not build balanced spiritual lives. Second floor, in order to build a balanced spiritual life, we must invest ourselves in growing up toward God in worship, in toward God's people in community, and out toward the world in service. So even those of us who have a connection with God, it's not just me and Jesus. In fact, a connection with God always drives us to become people who are more loving with those who are around us, both other followers of Christ and those who are far from God. We will grow in toward God's people in community as we grow up toward him in worship, and our hearts will become larger and will grow out toward the world, toward those in need. Thirdly, we divide our year here at Gateway into to seasons that correspond to those movements. We have an up-season. We're in an up-season right now where we try to focus our attention in our small groups and even here on Sunday mornings and what we talk about. We try to focus our attention up toward God. And then we have a season where we talk about our in-work, our relationships with one another. We have a season where we encourage ourselves and we stoke one another to, to move out toward those who are in need. If we want to grow up toward God in worship, which is the season that we're in right now, if we want to grow up toward God in worship, we must, third floor, use our resources with wisdom and purpose. That's one of the life themes that relates to we cannot grow up toward God in worship if our resources become blocks, if they become inhibitors. Our resources, all of them, come to us as a gift from God. This includes our time, our money, and our bodies. These resources can either become impediments to our connection with God or they be can become enhancements to our relationship with God. 
So we must learn to use them with wisdom and purpose. This means we must manage ourselves well and wisely. All right, so let me say at the beginning today, this is going to be like, I don't know if you've seen that show Dog Whisperer, but Diane and I have thought for years about getting a, a dog. It's become a joke around our family. We can never pull the trigger and actually get one because periodically one of you will say to one of us, oh, you, you have to do it. They're so awesome. And then the very next conversation, one of you will, will say, forget it. They poop all over everywhere. You got to walk them all the time. It's too much of a hassle and too much money. So we just never can pull the trigger. But in the process of trying to decide whether or not we were going to buy a dog, we, for a little while we got addicted to Caesar Milan, the dog whisperer. And many of you have seen the dog whisperer. If you've seen it, he's incredible. And part of what he does is just amazing instincts at how the dog is thinking because they're not that complicated. So he has all these little mechanisms to arrest their attention. You know, they get focused on something, the, the dog next door or the car that's going by. And Caesar has all of these mechanisms to arrest their attention and get their attention back on the alpha, which is if you're the owner, in theory, you. This morning is meant to be an attention arrester. We're not going to tell a lot of inspiring stories. We'll save that for another time later in the year. And there are a lot of inspiring stories here. Instead, what we're going to do this morning is talk primarily to our heads. We're going to discuss some principles about financial management that really flow out of one central principle. And this is an attempt this morning, I believe, God wants to say, hey, pay attention to the alpha dog in the room. And that's not me, certainly not financially. That is, in fact, Jesus. So last week we talked about time management. Today we're going to talk about how we manage our money. Pastor John Piper says this about money, and he's right. The Bible makes it clear that what you feel about money can destroy you. That's why this topic is so important. What you feel about money can destroy you. And then he references 1 Timothy 6, 9. Look at this. Piper continues. Or what you do with your money can secure the foundation of eternal life for you. It can secure the foundation of eternal life for you. And then he references 1 Timothy 6, 18 and 19. He begins this paragraph, by the way, telling Timothy how to address those who are rich. And many of us fall into that category. He says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that's, that's really life. Piper concludes with this. Don't miss this. These verses teach us to use our money in a way that will bring us the greatest and longest gain. We must use our resources with wisdom and purpose in a way that will do us the greatest good. To accomplish that, we will have to manage our finances well. Now, look, our money is not the most valuable resource we have, but it may be the resource that we spend the most time worrying about or thinking about. Honestly, it drives many of our decisions. It's where we invest an awful lot of our hope and our expectations. So it has tremendous power to distract and derail us. 
It also has tremendous power to bless us and to propel us. We must use our money in a way that will bring us the greatest and longest gain. We must use it with wisdom and purpose. This is why Jesus talked about money so frequently. And one of Jesus' favorite themes when he talked about money was storing up treasures for ourselves in heaven. Now look, storing up, that's an interesting image, isn't it? Storing up requires energy. It requires postponing immediate desires to satisfy future needs and desires. In other words, it requires self-management. I want us this morning to dive into a section of teaching from one of Paul's letters that gives us the most critically important principle for the right management of our money. The most critically important principle for the right management of our money. This passage gives us the most important place for us to start if we're going to manage our money well and wisely. This is the foundation for us. We're going to be reading from 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. If you have a Bible with you or a Bible app on your phone, I'd love for you to look with me. It will be on the screen. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 15. And Paul gives here the starting place for us in managing our money well, and I'll explain that in a minute. The principle, he gives it almost right off the bat. In verse 7, he'll line up the principle, and then he's got like five truths around that principle that we need to just spend a really short period of time on this morning. So let's go old school, stand out of reverence for God's Word, and we're going to read 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your own heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. As it's written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and, and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And then their prayers for you, their, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. You may be seated. Okay, the central principle, don't miss this point for this Sunday morning. It's plain and simple. It is happily give what you've decided to give. Happily give what you've decided to give. When Paul says give, he means give to something other than your own comfort and need. Give to God's causes. Be generous in a way that matches God's heart. Happily give what you've decided to give. Obviously, 
Nowhere in this passage does Paul tell us that this is God's central principle in managing our money. So are you just being preachery, Ed? Honestly, I don't think so. Because this theme that God brings to our attention, he brings it over and over again. Jesus repeatedly commends giving, generous, sacrificial, right-hearted giving. And the Old Testament prophets speak about it frequently as well. In fact, at one point, one of the Old Testament prophets tell us that if we don't give to God's causes, we're actually robbing God, his word, not mine. In fact, he gives a guideline. He says we should be giving 10% of all our intake or we're robbing God. More about that in a minute. But the point is giving is where our financial management begins if we want to manage our resources with wisdom and purpose. That means for those of us who actively budget, and I hope all of us do, our budget should begin not with taxes and not with mortgage, but it should begin with giving. So five truths that grow out of this principle from this passage. Uh, Truth number one, we should make a decision about giving. Obvious, but verses 6 and 7, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He's setting us up for a teaching on generosity, and he says, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you'll reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is not interested in casual giving. It's not about the gift. It's about the heart. We're not talking about going to a basketball game and hearing a pitch about the Jim Valvano cancer fund and taking the change out of your pocket. We're not talking about passing the Salvation Army at Christmas and giving the change from your latest Christmas purchase. God is not interested in casual giving. God-honoring giving is a decision, and financial management requires such a decision. I wanted to tell you some stories of some people here at Gateway, and there's some great stories. We'll save those for later in the year. But suffice it to say, as an example, there are a few families that I know of here at Gateway who, when we together issued a challenge to ourselves that we were going to try to build that building out on Gum Springs Road. If you're visiting with us, thanks so much for coming. As you go out Gum Springs Road toward Route 50, there's a new building going up on your right, and that's our facility that God is erecting through us, through our effort and through our generosity. When we first tossed out that challenge and we we talked about the kind of money that we needed to raise and we wanted to raise money, I know of families here at Gateway who decided that they would pray independent, husband and wives would pray independently about what God wanted them to give, and when they came back together to discuss it, they came back with the exact same figure in mind. We need to see that giving is an act of our will. It is a decision, but it involves much more than our heads. This is also a heart decision. Each one should give what they have decided in their heart to give. The motivation, the generosity that God is pouring in, that God is inspiring in your heart, tap into that, choose that, and move toward giving it. As I said earlier, the Old Testament offers an actual guideline. It talks repeatedly. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you'll know this term. It talks about the tithe. And that word tithe just literally is the Hebrew word for tenth. 
And God meant that directive quite literally. What he intended by that tenth is that if I make $100,000 a year, which would not be at all unusual for Northern Virginia, in fact, it's low for many of you, then I take that $100,000 a year and the tithe is $10,000. And I decide that I want to honor God with that and I figure out how and where I'm going to give it. Now, I've spoken before about giving, and I've often said the tithe is not a legal requirement. It's, it's not as if God will reject you if you don't give 10% of your money. As the kids would say, that's not how God rolls. In fact, the tithe isn't mentioned in the... What was the laughter? Come on, I'm still hip enough to say that's not how God rolls. <laughs> in fact, the tithe isn't even mentioned in the New Testament, but just make sure that because it's, we say it's not a legal requirement, and it's not, make sure that you don't run past it too easily or too quickly. Silence about the tithe is not because Jesus has eliminated it, but because the New Testament is more insistent that all we have is God's. Jesus talks openly and frankly about surrendering our whole lives to him. Decide what to give and give accordingly. Next truth that wraps around our central principle. Our attitude in giving should be joy. Remember verse 7, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly earn a compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I heard a story about a mother who gave her child a dollar bill and a quarter and said, sweetheart, you can place either one in the offering plate. It's entirely up to you. As they were driving home, the mother decided to ask her daughter what she decided to give, and the daughter said, well, at first I was going to give the dollar... But the man on the stage said, God loves a cheerful giver, and I thought I might be more cheerful if I gave the quarter. Our giving should be joyful, not reluctant. Reluctance does not please God. You know what's interesting about this? As with most things pertaining to our spiritual lives, it's not the externals that matter. It's not the giving, it's the heart that matters. Using our resources with wisdom and purpose will require joyful giving. We have an example of this later in the New Testament, the book of Acts, the story of the first Christians and, and how that spun out. And the first church is the church in Jerusalem, and it was an exciting place to be. Lots of people were connecting with God and recognizing that Jesus was who he claimed to be. And not only so, but the spirit of generosity was exploding. And those people were, many of them were bringing all of their resources and giving it into a collective pool. And then they were dispersing that as they had need. There was a couple in particular that's talked about early in Acts, a couple that owned property, evidently, and they decided that because everybody else was doing this, they thought they probably should as well. So they go sell a piece of property, which no one required them to do. But they go sell a piece of property, and they bring part of the proceeds to the disciples, and they lay it as an offering, and, oh, here's their sacrificial offering holding some back, but representing their gift as if they were going all in like everyone else was. God ultimately judges that couple, not for holding money back, but for holding their heart back, for misrepresenting their gift, for giving under compulsion. Our giving should be joyful and not under compulsion. We don't give because we feel guilty. That's not financial management. In the Middle Ages, some of you heard this, if you remember back to your world history, early in the Middle Ages, the, the church 
made the boneheaded decision to begin this practice that they called indulgences, which was a way of remitting penance. So effectively, what would happen is you would go to confession and the priest would hear your confession and give you some way of working back spiritually, say, you know, prayers or do these exercises. And as a way of getting around penance, you could just give money and indulgence. It actually began during the period of the Crusades, and they were trying to recruit young men to go fight the Muslims in the Middle East in the Crusades, so they would offer indulgence. You would not have to do penance for the rest of your life if you would just suit up and follow the king over into the Middle East. It's incredibly weird and dangerous practice, and not surprisingly, it got way out of hand. There were preachers who would go throughout Europe in the Middle Ages preaching about indulgences and telling large congregations of people, if you would just give certain amounts of money, put them in the coffers of the church, then your family that's gone before you will be released from purgatory, and you won't have to do penance anymore. It's essentially a way for the church to extort money from individuals. You and I should never give under motivation that represents anything close to that, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but effectively managing ourselves financially will begin with giving joyfully. Third truth, you cannot outpace God in your desire to give. You cannot outpace God in your desire to give. Listen to this. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it's written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You cannot outpace God in your desire to give. If you truly want to give more, if you truly want to give more, God will provide it. That means if you've been thinking for years that you'd like to give more, that you'd like to be more generous, but you just can't, not yet, you tell yourself, then you may be kidding yourself. You may not truly desire to be more generous. A few months ago, we issued a challenge here at Gateway. We'd gotten to the place in our building project, you'll remember, we were seeing walls go up and the steel had come and we have this, we'll bring it out again at some point, but we had this thing we called milestones and we were throwing them up on the board, you know, get a loan, get this happened, that happened. We had 13 or 14 of them and we'd throw them up and you guys would cheer and we'd get excited as we were ticking off each of those milestones, but we realized that in order to open the building up in a way that would honor God and welcome our neighbors, we were going to need an additional $1 million. It wasn't so much that we needed a $1 million more than we had been thinking, but we needed it much quicker than we had been thinking. We needed a $1 million when we first issued this challenge. It was the end of October, I guess, maybe 1st of November. We would need a $1 million in less than a year. Now, this is not a large congregation. 
I believe God's going to do great things here at Gateway. So once again, if you're visiting, welcome. I think you've come at a great time. We need you. But right now, this is not a large congregation and a million dollars giving to our building in less than a year while we're also maintaining the needs of our congregation, our operating budget. When I knew this was our challenge, I honestly felt two things simultaneously. I felt like, number one, this is impossible. And number two, I honestly felt a great surge of faith that God would do this. Now, I need to mention that because that's unusual for me. I do not, I'm sorry to say, I do not often and instantly traffic in great faith like that, but I felt a great sense of faith that God would do this. I knew that for us to get anywhere near reaching this challenge, we would have to have an incredible end of year in 2016. Alex and I talked about that a number of times. I was hoping that we could have an end of year that could come close to last year. Because last year, you guys were extraordinarily generous. Last year, we gave, at the end of 2015, this congregation gave $134,000 to our building effort in one month. On top of that, we gave $72,000 to the operating fund. This congregation gave over $200,000 in one month. I knew for us to get anywhere near what God wanted us to do, we would have to have another month like that. This is why I didn't want to tell any stories this morning. I hate that. I'm honored and overwhelmed and blown away to report that we have been generous beyond all expectation, beyond anything I could have imagined. I typed this out, so I knew you guys might get emotional. <laughs> God has enlarged the harvest of our righteousness. We have had God's grace abound to us so that we could abound in every good work. This December... Gateway gave to the operating fund, operating fund, just under $90,000. That's $40,000 more than our monthly burn rate. On top of that, Gateway gave to our building fund $228,000. A word to those of you who are giving actively. Thank you for living this passage out. It's a ministry to me. I hope to you and to one another. You're giving not only to our building effort, but you're giving so that marriages in our area can be spoken into. So that young people in our area can have a place physically and spiritually to connect. You're giving so that those who are far from God and desperate about the direction of their lives, so that they can hear and be liberated by the truth of God's great love. And they will hear. Because of the service by which you have proven yourselves, God will be praised. A word to those of you who are not yet giving. You don't need to put your guilt vest on. No guilt coming. We called our giving campaign, Don't Miss This. Because we're convinced that God is up to something extraordinary, and we don't want anyone to miss it. 
If you've not yet started giving, please do not feel manipulated or cajoled by this conversation. If you feel any of that, then reject it. But I want to encourage you that God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And sometimes it is just the case that sometimes God waits for us to begin, and then he supplies. Next truth, and we'll do these quickly. Our giving will be blessed by God. Our giving will be blessed by God. There are many reasons giving is commended, but we're commanded to do so. God has given us so much, how could we not give? And, and God himself is generous, and we can't be becoming more like God and not be increasing in our generosity. But the reason Paul gives is this, because the more we give, the more we will be blessed. Verse 6 and verse 11, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. We may blush at this, but it's true. And notice Paul tells us to remember this, to keep this in mind. We are to use this truth as a motivation. This will help us in our financial management if we keep this truth in our minds, if we remember it. It's sometimes very, very difficult to see our way to generosity. So we need to remember this. It's important to remember that God's blessing is not necessarily more money. We're not talking about a divine slot machine. On the other hand, Paul tells us that we will be made rich in every way so that we can be generous. And in the deepest recesses of our heart, if our motivation is to be generous, we will be supplied. And almost everyone in this room, almost everyone in this room, has been made exceedingly rich. Okay, last truth that wraps around this principle. Our giving results in a riot of praise and blessing and growth. So listen. This service that you perform, Paul concludes, isn't only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you've proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift, this riot of praise and blessing and growth. That's the result of generosity. They get blessed and they thank you and they bless you and you bless them and God is blessed and others are blessed and they bless you and bless the ones that blessed you that blessed them and then they, that we all grow and we get blessed. We're happy and more is poured in and more generosity and God is praised. It's a riot. Okay, let's give some conclusions and some assignments. No gripping story today. You are well-educated, middle-income Americans. You know how to do this. You know how to do this. So a couple of reminders today. Let's review what we said at the end of last week when we talked about time management, because it's critically important. 
So time management again, here's what we left with. We said, get prayer today if you have any issue, but especially if you have issues related to time. And I want to encourage the same thing today. There will be a group of people down here who will pray for you. Do not leave unprayed for if you need prayer today. Get prayer. Then we said, make the order, the right ordering of your inner world, your priority. So giddy up on that. Make that your deal. You cannot be the person that you were designed to be and the person that you long to be if you leave your inner world unattended. And then we said, whatever it is, whatever you're procrastinating, start it now, today, that day, start it. And I hope many of you did this week. Started whatever it is. We said, find a good mentor, and I offered several books and said, grab one on your way out or order one. And then we said, experiment with a new spiritual habit this winter. We'll be talking more about that in February. We're going to do our second kind of series of messages directing our hearts up toward God in worship, and we're going to talk about how, practically, how you relate to God, what that looks like. So we'll be talking more about experimenting with a new spiritual habit. Let's go through some of this today, and it's much simpler with finances. It's much simpler because you know how to do this. And it's much simpler because I'm no expert, and in fact, uh, if we lined up by expertise this morning, I would be in this room pretty near the end of the line. So I'm just going to tell you two big picture things and offer you some suggestions that you already know. Number one, take the next step in managing your finances well this week. If you're married, on your way home, decide what that will be. Take the next step in managing your finances well this week. I don't mean turn your whole lives around. I mean, just take the next step, whatever it is. It could be budgeting. As Dave Ramsey says, budgeting is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. So you may need to begin budgeting or you may need to, to get a firm fix on your budget. It could be that you want to go to a cash system or a cash system for certain of your purchases. I learned a long time ago, if I'm late and I'm trying to meet one of you in Reston or Tyson's, Diane and I live out in Ashburn, I, it's just easy for me to hop on the toll road, even though it costs $97 to get from Ashburn down to Tyson's. <laughs> but if I take that little thing off of my windshield and I have to pull out my wallet and I pull up and she says, that'll be $97, I say, what? And I back up and force my way around up on the hill. I don't pay for it. Maybe some of you need to go to a cash system, or it might be for some of you, just begin, just begin paying down your debt. Just pick the credit card with the lowest and start paying it down. Or if you need more help, and this is for emphasis, that's not audio problems, that's God saying, pay attention. <laughs> if you need more help, Aaron and Diana Payne will be in the back today at the table that Terry is usually at. And they're beginning a class by Dave Ramsey, Dave Ramsey's material called Financial Peace. We've done that a number of times at Gateway, and we will do it again. But some of you need to start now. If you need more help, talk to them about either hooking up with this class or figuring out what to do and how. Financial Peace is a pretty, you won't agree with everything, but it's a pretty intense program of getting your finances back on track if you need more help. Take the next step in managing your finances well. Second thing, only two things, but they're big ones. I'm not going to tell you what it is 
you know what it is. Just take the, again, you're not solving your whole life problems. You're just taking the next right step. Secondly, take the next step in generosity. Personally, do some work today, this week, sometime this week, figure out 15 minutes to figure out what the next step for you is in generosity. If you're married, do it with your husband and wife. What is the next step for us in generosity? It could be deciding what you want to give. You've never done that before. And you hear the Old Testament prophets talk about the tithe, and you think, good grief, I can't get anywhere there. Well, where can you get? And set that as your goal. Take the next step. Maybe it's deciding. Maybe it's a sacrifice of some kind. Maybe you were given an end-of-the-year gift, and you don't know what to do with it, or a bonus at the end of the year. And you're thinking, oh, golly, should we get new countertops in the kitchen or hold on to it to the spring and build the deck off the back porch? Or add to the deck and get a new grill, one of those built-in grills. Awesome. Maybe God is saying to you today, be generous with it. Give it away. Find someone who has need and give it away. Or give it to that building fund that Ed is talking about. Or be super generous. Send Ed and Diane to Hawaii. Something like that. Some kind of sacrificial offering. It may be that you need to give something else away. Some of you do not absolutely need to get the trade-in value on your old car. Give it. Or you're upgrading the two computers at home. Give them away. I've got someone who needs one. So find something, give it away. Or maybe it's just simplify. It might begin with your closet upstairs. Or there's some other area. Take the next step in generosity. This week, don't let it pass. One final offering just to throw at you here. We're going to be upping again. It's going to be a giddy-up again this week on the blog. I hope that many of you were able to do it this week. We did a five-week devotional blog this past week on time management. This coming week, there will be six days of devotions about financial management. And I would love to have you just track with us and do that each morning. It will take you less than 10 minutes unless there's something in it that you want to focus on, and that's on you. But track with us on the blog this week and do the blog about financial management. Let's just have a week together where we allow God to remind us this is critically important. We've always known it, but now's the time to do it. Remember, it's 20% head knowledge, and you've got, all of you have got at least 15% of that, and some of you have got way more than that. It's 80% behavior. So let's start this week. Let's do it. That's, that's a point at which people who were actually listening could say amen. So let's start this week. Let's do it. Okay? They could also... Perhaps if they were really excited, they could say, yes, praise the Lord. So let's start this week. Let's do it. Yes, Lord. They said reluctantly and under compulsion. Okay. <laughs> let's pray together. Father, we're giving you our heart. We're surrendering. Lord, we're choosing this morning to take a lower seat. We're not going to place ourselves at the center because that just, that makes generosity impossible. But we're going to take the appropriate seat off in the distance, and we're going to wait for you to draw us near 
and to lift us up and to enrich us in every way. So this morning, we're choosing to, in our finances and in our time, and we're choosing to lift you up. We're choosing to make it about you, not about the kitchen countertops or uh, remodeling the bathroom or the new SUV. I mean, Lord, honestly, you may be releasing those things to us, but we want to make it just about you. Pray that you would inspire us and help us to use our resources with wisdom and purpose and to manage our finances well. In the strong name of Christ our Lord, we pray.